Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and uh, I'm very excited to welcome the first of two special guests today. That, I think, is a first on this show. Well, other than Sunday when we had uh, seemingly half of Tout Wars in the studio with us. Uh, but uh, we've got uh, two uh, guests. Uh, the first of all, Fred Zinke from MLB.com and from the Tout Wars Mixed Auction. Just saw Fred this weekend. Uh, so, Fred, welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's good to be talking to you again after our long conversations throughout the auction. We actually got to sit beside each other on Saturday. That's right. I think that was a first as well. Uh, I don't recall that. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think you were already plotting some uh, some trades midway through the auction. No, I had no. I'm a reformed <laughs> man. I'm telling you, I'm not going to make as many trades this year. I think. Now you, yeah, okay, you did say that, and I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that. And I also want to dig into your roster, which I think is just fascinating. But uh, why, why are you reformed? Why the reform when when the old Fred did so well? It's true, but like there, but you can try different approaches. And as as much as people talk about that, I make a lot of good trades. I also do know that I make some really bad trades as well. Trades also take a lot of time to work out with, especially, you know, if you're going to try to make as many as I've been making. So, uh, yeah. And I think I could be, I think sometimes I'm not patient enough. So, uh, I, sometimes I gave, I think I gave away, uh, for example, Eduardo Nunez early last season, just like threw him in to get a trade done. And then he turned out to be very valuable. So overall, I'm going to try to be more patient this year and maybe trust myself a little more when I like a player. Well, you know, if you're going to toss somebody away too early, better Eduardo Nunez than Brian Dozier. I think you'd have to agree with that. I don't know. At least you got something for, I don't remember what you got, but at least you got Dallas. <laughs> you got that. Dallas. Actually, I do. You got That's Dallas right. Keuchel, which is maybe last year was worse than getting nothing. But Eduardo Nunez, I actually got nothing for. Like a trade was done. And I think it was Scott Engel said like, oh, I'm just not sure if I want it. And I was like, here, take Eduardo Nunez too. He's like, okay, sure, done. And so I actually got nothing for him. So, because I just did, I don't know, I didn't believe in him after two or three good weeks that I sure, certainly should have. Well, you know, I'm going to be keeping an eye on, on your trade activity. And uh, either way, if you stick with the, the new regimen or, or if you go back to the old one, I'm hoping maybe uh, we could check in with you at some point uh, into the season and, and see how that's going and, and why you're yeah, for sure. trending the way you're trending. And, and I, and I want to talk about trades in a more general sense with you. But like I said, I, I do want to ask you about your roster. Really interesting roster construction. Stars and scrubs all the way. You have uh, four players over $40. Three of them third baseman, Josh Donaldson, Nolan Arenado, and um, uh, Chris Bryant. And obviously, Chris Bryant, uh, you have some position flexibility there with him. Uh, so you have those three, plus Bryce Harper at 42. And then you've got a, a two-ace rotation with uh, Massive Bumgarner and you Darvish, and then a lot of uh, a lot of $1 players. So how did... I, I'm guessing this is not a... Uh, you know, a premeditated strategy on your part, because uh, that's just typically not how auctions work for anybody. But how did this happen? Yeah, no, that was my plan going in. I decided that I was going to try to buy four $40 or roughly $40 hitters, and four of the top 10 hitters and two good aces. I actually thought I'd get Max Scherzer, who you ended up getting. I thought he would go for around $30 and, and he went a little more than that, which is fine. Um, but yeah, no, my plan was to get four first round caliber hitters and a couple of my top 10 starters and then just 
figure the rest out along the way. The, the third baseman thing just happened. And I, I, some people have asked me, was I trying to deplete a pool? And I wasn't. Third base is super deep this year. That wasn't the goal. I, I actually wish that one of my, other than Harper, my $40 hitters are, are real sluggers, not no bases, there are no stolen bases there. I wish I could have gotten maybe Jose Altuve or Mookie Betts or Mike Trout instead of one of the players I got. But that was okay. My plan was to get, was to go heavy stars and scrubs, uh, punt saves, and then we'll just see where we go from here. Yeah, and you uh, pretty much, yeah, you delivered on all of that. In fact, you didn't, you got no relievers at all, not even in the uh, reserve round. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really decided, I, now I, I did have some backup type plans, because you can go start in an auction, you, because typically the best players are nominated early. You can have a Stars and Scrubs plan, and if it doesn't work, if you just end up getting pushed too far on some of those players, you can double back and just spread out your roster. And I was willing to do that. Had, had I been pushed high, higher on those hitters, I would have bailed and just bought some 25 and $30 hitters or whatever. Um, and same with the closers. I hung in on the closers up to a point. I had the punting saves. I, I thought that was quite possible as what I thought they would go for, and I was right. Had certain closers gone for a couple dollars less, I was in. But then when they went to what they went to, like I, I'd take Ken, Kenley Jansen for 20, Soon Wano for 17, Edwin Diaz for 17, but they just kept going a dollar or two over, and I decided at the end that I wasn't going to try to compete in saves at the price of having Brandon Kinsler, Jen Mark Gomez, you know, Ryan Madsen, those types of pitchers, two of them in my lineup. At that point, I just decided I was out. Yeah, well, uh, you know, like I said, it's a very interesting roster. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think it's going to work for you. When I, you know, looked at, at all the rosters afterwards, I thought this is, this is going to be a tough team to beat. Now, you said that it was uh, sort of a design strategy for you to, to have a roster like this. Is it just because you didn't see that much separation between the middle and lower tiers or just faith in your ability to uh, make replacements on the fly as need be or something else? Yeah, I'd say a little bit all the above. I will say when I looked back at my auctions from the past few years and I, and I typically finished in the top of the league, but when I looked at my auctions, like I, I bought a lot of guys who didn't play well at all. So the concept that, you know, if Josh Donaldson doesn't have a great year at $42 that my team sunk, it doesn't really hold water to me anymore. Like if he ends up only being a $28 player, uh, like last year I bought Lucas Duda and, you know, and, and a lot of Alex Gordon and, and Shinsu Chu and a lot of players for $15 that were basically $1 players by the hour last by the end of the year. So I don't think, I don't think stars and scrubs is necessarily super risky. I guess it could really blow up and you could end up in a lot of trouble. So that was part of it. Uh, and I also did notice a bit of a trading theme with me last year where I was often trying to climb that ladder and give a couple of $15 players to get a really good player. So I guess this year I just decided to skip that step and start with the good player. And I, I, I'm sure if I go out and if I need to make a trade later and I, I want to shop Nolan Arenado, I'm sure there'll be a market for him. Yeah. Well, all that makes sense to me. And now if we, we uh, look at the lower end of the roster, you know, all these $1 players, you know, smattering of, you know, a couple of $2 players. I noticed that, these are almost exclusively what I would call safety picks. Um, and, and it's a real contrast to, I, I didn't have as many $1 players, but the ones I did have, for the most part, were really speculative. Um, Carter Caps, who I talked about in the first segment of the show, he was one of them. Eduardo Rodriguez, Matt Joyce, 
who had a, a really aberrant season last year, and I'm hoping that maybe there's something to that. Andrew Tolls, same deal in his rookie year. Um, and meanwhile, you've got these, you know, kind of tried and true veterans, Jason Castro, Jose Reyes, Joe Panic, D- uh, Danny Espinoza, your pitchers. Joe Musgrove, I think, is the exception here, but otherwise, Zach Davies, Mike Leake, Nate Carnes, Tyson Ross maybe is more in the speculative category too. And then even going down to your reserve picks like uh, Tyler Anderson, Stephen Wright, Josh Harrison, Nick Markakis. I mean, almost to a player, these are steady veterans. So is that a, is that a, a preference for you or did it surprise you in the aftermath that that's what you wound up with? Uh, I say with the hitters, a little bit, I felt like I needed to get some steady veterans because when you have so many, you can't have a, probably have a hitting lineup with like six speculative $1 players in your lineup because you, you'll just fall short. I think some of them will bust. You can have like, you can kind of get cute and have like one or something in your open or two maybe in your opening day lineup. But I, I felt like I needed the Brett Gardner's and the Cameron Mavens, just guys who are playing every day and, and will generate some stats. And then I could get cute with waiver picks. Um, I felt like Tommy Joseph's a little speculative. He's my first base when I went $2 there. Like there's some potential there. Like we haven't really seen what he can do in a, in a 525 at bat season. Um, and then I drafted Yohan Moncada for my bench. That was kind of my big speculative pick, hoping that mm-hmm. I'm a little light on steel. So I, I'm hoping that he'll, he can help me there. I, I do think sometimes though, we really, with the speculative picks, we chase youngsters, which I get, like, for example, you mentioned Joe Musgrove. Uh, at the same time, like when you think of, like Rick Porcello being a great speculative pick last season. And there's a veteran who had been up and down and up and down and throughout his career, mostly down and ended up being a great speculative, you know, late round pick. And he wouldn't have fit that mold either. So I think sometimes like, like I could chase like a, like Nathan Carnes to me, like he's someone who hasn't really put it all together, but his K per nine is right around nine. So if he does put it all together, he could be really valuable. But I did feel with a lot of $1 players, like I needed some Mike Leakes just to, and like it says, as I said, Brett Gardner's Nick Markakis is to just keep the counting stats coming. Yeah. Well, Nick Markakis is the, is the poster child for that kind oh, of player. Ever. So you, you nailed it yeah. there. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I, I did say I, I wanted to, uh, we've only got a, a few minutes left in the segment, and I, I definitely wanted to talk to you about trades. Um, and I, you know, again, don't want you to give away too many secrets or, I mean, honestly, I do want you to, but you know, I don't want you to feel pressured cause I want you to come back on the show sometime, but <laughs> I, I do want to know in, in general terms, uh, and this is a question I get, I think people in the industry get what sorts of things do you look for in a trade target? And, you know, obviously we all try to buy low, sell high, but, but what, what helps you determine when you have those opportunities? Yeah, I normally I normally don't get fixated on certain players. I normally try to look just go through the rosters and put myself in the other owner's shoes and think about which owner would be interested in talking trade because I don't think you're going to get very far if the if it just doesn't suit the needs of the other owner. So so for example, if if partway through the season, you know, I need to trade one of these stud hitters uh, to get more depth, or maybe something happens to Darvish. I need to trade one of these stud hitters, maybe for a mid-tier hitter and a pitcher. Uh, you know, I'm going to look standings. I'm going to look rosters. I'm going to look who has a really deep hitting lineup, or who's really really crushing it in the hitting categories. Or I'm and could maybe spare an extra hitter. Or I'm going to look at who's crushing it in the pitching categories and could spare a starter. Like I really try to think of the other person first, 
and then I look at the roster and look at the names and decide. And I know a little bit of who I'm high on and who I'm low on in comparison. Like, for example, I know I'm not as high on Julio Tehran as most people. So I think he went for $18. I probably won't make an offer for him all year because he's just not up there in my rankings. And his owner probably likes him way more than I do. But overall, I will go back to those auction values a little bit because, you know, if you pay $20 for someone, and I thought he was an $18 player. Now there's somewhere where we can talk if that's the type of person that fits my roster in a trailer in the year. But I think mostly putting yourself in the other owner's shoes to start is the most important thing to making a lot of trades. You know what? It, it sound, what do you say? It, it sounds so obvious and so common sense. And yet I know I you know, don't do that nearly as often as I should. I think pro- probably a lot of owners maybe lose sight of that. So again, you know, it's, it's, I think it's good common sense advice that we need to be reminded of a lot. So uh, yeah. I think that was- and if there was one, sorry, Alex, I was going to say, there's one other thing I'd say that I'm willing to do that. I think a lot of people aren't it. I'll unbalance my roster. If I like the trade, like I'll trade my only closer or I'll trade my ace starter when I don't have a good number two, if I really like the trade and then I'm willing to make another trade down the road to square my roster back up. But I'm never thinking two or three moves ahead, but I'm willing to gamble that maybe later I can make a trade. And a lot of owners will just flat say, like, I can't trade my ace. I don't have a good rotation behind him. If I like the trade, I'll just do it and then figure out the rest later. Interesting. That's Yeah, that, I think that's definitely, uh, I don't know, for my eyes, that's un- unconventional. So, well, Fred, thank you so mm-hmm. much for taking the time today. Always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, look forward to uh, reading you this, uh, this season. So, uh, Yeah, def- definitely. Best, best of luck. So, uh, well, uh, we're going to head to break, but when we come back, uh, we're going to have Nando DeFino uh, sit in the guest chair. So uh, stick around. 